This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute. Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> Leave that in. Leave, wow, it's it a while since you You know, what's funny is I pulled up my uh, notes, and for some reason, uh, Google Drive switched over to Ghostbusters Minute what? instead of Jurassic Park. <laughs> hey, but... that's all right, man. I've had plenty of Goonies Minute open up now, and I don't even catch it. I'm, just... <laughs> I'm glad that, yeah, I would have kept going. But this is Jurassic Park Minute, the fan <laughs> podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park. Minute by Minute, I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And folks, again, we have him back by popular demand, Mr. Scott Corelli. Scott, thank you for joining us again for another day. <laughs> Thanks for having me so I could be here for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> that was glorious and unplanned. You know, it used to be in Ghostbusters Minute, we do a little joke where every now and then we'd be like, oh, welcome to Eric Von Stroheim's Greed Minute or something like that. Uh, and then it, it was funny. And then uh, <laughs> it's late and I've had a few drinks. So eventually it became Ghostbusters Minute. That's true, so. everybody. Kyle <laughs> is coming straight from a bar. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but uh, Scott, thank you for joining us so much. We had such a great time yesterday, but we had to stop recording at some point and move on to the next minute. Uh, but uh, we got a lot of really cool stuff to cover here. But just in case somebody is going out of order and they didn't listen to yesterday's show, uh, can you just kind of tell our listeners out there who you are and what it is that you do? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a I'm primarily a podcaster. Uh, DuelingGenre.com is my site. Dueling Genre Productions is sort of like Paley Media, where we're sort of an umbrella production company of many podcasts um, and the ones that I do are Back to the Future Minute with my co-host Nick Jimenez and uh, The Doctor's Companion which is a Doctor Who podcast that I've been doing since 2010 and then uh, Geek by Night which is a original audio drama that I uh, created and co- I, I executive produced with Nick and we, uh, we, uh, we, we do that show and that's a, that's a fully cast like podcast series um, with uh, with actors and sound effects and everything uh, about a group of friends who run a comic book store together and also get superpowers. It's a it's a comedy, um, and it's uh, you know it's us trying to um, sort of relive the magic of things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and uh, Spaced and. Uh, uh, back to the Future and that sort of thing. That's kind of the vibe that we have when we do it. And, and it's something I'm really proud of. And uh, that's sort of uh, our, our baby over a dueling genre. But, you know, all kinds of other shows as well, including Harry Potter Minute and uh, Lord of the Rings Minute, uh, which uh, other people do under our umbrella. But, yeah, uh, that's that's my main website. And then I'm also a screenwriter on the side. And I, I, I uh, write and direct um, short films, and I'm actually uh, in the process of getting a feature off the ground. So, um, <gasps> no nice. way, really? Yeah. That's awesome, man! Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. Are you at liberty to give any sort of details on that? Or um, can, not, I'm trying to scoop it here. Not, <laughs> not, not yet. Uh, sure. But I'm, I am hoping to have a uh, a green light and a go date by the end of this year. Um, hopefully, to shoot it like early next year at the latest. So. Um, it looks like it's, uh, probably going to happen. So, um, you know, that's something. Well, that's amazing, man. Congratulations on yeah. that. Now, Thank do you. I remember, uh, yesterday on the show, you mentioned also that you have a, uh, short that's coming out soon. Yeah. Um, well, I have two shorts on, on the site now, uh, the Cupid division and unexceptional unexceptional was actually the last one that I shot. The one that's coming out next month is actually my first short film that 
didn't get finished because um, it was my first short film, so I made a lot of mistakes, and I worked with other editors, and other editors weren't giving me the um, the vibe on the film that I wanted to have. And mm-hmm. so I ended up taking it away from them and re-editing it from scratch. And so it's finally getting finished and coming out. Um, and it's finally something that I'm really proud of. But it is my first short film, so it's a little weird because I have gotten a lot better since then. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was sort of like a, just like an easy thing. I had this idea for uh, a conversation between uh, a crime boss and a, and a guy who shouldn't be talking to a crime boss. Um, and uh, the idea... I think the way that I described it to people early on was like, if, um, uh, what is that guy's name from Fargo? Uh, the, um, uh, what is his name? Um, uh, Fargo, the TV show or Fargo, the movie, the movie, the main character of Fargo. Um, William H. Macy. Yeah. William H. Macy. Thank you. Uh, so, so what William H. Macy's character from Fargo, like, like sat down with like, uh, somebody from Goodfellas, um, (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that's sort of the that's sort of like the 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 gist of it. Um, it's called Severance, and it comes out next month. And uh, and then my other two are uh, big bigger movies. Like Cuba Division was something that I I wrote as like I wrote Severance, and it's literally just a conversation between these two people. So it's really you know I tried to film it in a cinematic way, but ultimately it's really just a conversation, and so it's it's much more of a play than it is a film. Um, I'm really proud of it, but I. I was like, oh, man, I didn't really challenge myself on this. So then when I made Cupid Division, I overcorrected and made something that I had no way I could have possibly have made. Um, at, like it included a, a big dance sequence in the middle of it. Um, that was also a sword fight. Uh, look, there was a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> but but uh, we we ended up paring it down and, and me and my crew, we made something that I'm really proud of. And it's about, uh, a, like these, this guy and a girl who meet randomly and then meet randomly again and then meet randomly a third time and realize like something weird is happening because all the people around them are the same people. And they're an organization called the Cupid division who actually like puts people together. They're like a spy organization, but they're, Oh, uh, very cool. They're like putting people together. And, uh, so yeah, they did that. And then unexceptional, which was in a bunch of film festivals last year. And, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of, but yeah, so you can find all of those on the website. So are these uh, were these student films that you did, or did you independently fund these yourself? Cuba Division was a student film, um, but Severance and Unexceptional were independently financed. Although Cuba Division was still independently financed because my school didn't give me any money to make it. They were oh, just like, yeah. sure, we'll give you credit for making a movie. And I was like, all right. Money and they're like, ha, you're funny. <laughs> like, all right. So, um, so yeah, I, I did, I did uh, fund all of those myself. But um, well, that's very cool. So you have your producer credits as well, then. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You guys ready to go ahead and talk about some Jurassic Park? Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. In the previous minute, we got our first good look at the Tyrannosaurus Rex. As the minute ended, Gennaro abandoned the kids inside of the tour vehicle and hid in a bathroom. At minute number 64, we see Dr. Alan Grant and Dr. Ian Malcolm watching Gennaro run off. Grant asks where Gennaro was going. Malcolm says, when you gotta go, you gotta go. After another loud thud, the two look up to see the high-tension wires of the fence snapping and flying away. At 64.13, we cut to the front tour vehicle where Lex and Tim look up to see the pylons that were keeping the high-tension wires in place bending and coming towards them. The pylons creak loudly as they bend. 
Lex looks at the rear tour vehicle and says, Dr. Grant? At 6424, we cut to a shot of both vehicles. The gigantic Tyrannosaurus Rex steps out from the shadows and tears the high-tension wires. It steps out of its paddock, looks at both vehicles, and lets out a loud roar. We cut to the shot of the rear vehicle where Malcolm says, Boy, do I hate being right all the time. Dr. Grant leans forward to get a better look at the beast. At 6442, we see a shot of the Tyrannosaurus Rex through the front windshield of the rear vehicle. It lets out another loud roar and walks off. At 6429, Grant tells Malcolm to keep absolutely still and that the Rex's vision is based on movement. At 6453, we cut to a shot of Lex in the front vehicle going through a supply crate located in the back of the car. She reaches in and pulls a large flashlight out. And thus ends minute number 64 of Jurassic Park. So, uh, I have to say, when I originally saw this in the theater, you know, up until this point, there had been no advertisements or anything that actually showed what the Tyrannosaurus looked like. Uh, we had seen the Brachiosaur in the movie, and there was no real way to figure out, like, or to, to envision in your mind how they were going to depict dinosaurs. And you see the, as referred to on last episode, the paw or the forearm or whatever mm-hmm. it was holding onto the fence, and it kind of looks a little weird. It's kind of like bulky and kind of like not you know it's yeah. kind of like bulb bubble sea or the, i don't the know what the word fingers if you will i don't know what to call them aren't really moving yeah and they just yeah. kind of fall off the fence and i remember sitting in the theater looking at that and being like <laughs> oh my god they're going full-on theodore rex cartoon dinosaur with this thing it's going to be like something out of uh, the flintstones yeah you know and then and then 30 seconds and later. then 30 seconds later you have this thing step out and it is so Awesome, and I don't mean yeah. awesome is just like oh, it's awesome, bro. It's like you're in awe of this. I think this is the best CG I think I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life, still to this day. I mean, it is a it's it, that is a movie going experience right there. Is yeah. it's is this entire sequence, this entire movie, but that moment in particular when this you know CGI was really revealed to audiences in in all of its glory for the first time to you know general audiences although i guess it kind of happened more with the brachiosaurus but here it is in in the sense that like you're but this in, is what you're you came in danger for. yeah this is yeah this mm-hmm. is what you paid to come see was the tyrannosaurus rex live and, and for our listeners you know? out there that were maybe born after jurassic park came out it's very difficult to for us to relate to you what a seminal moment in theater going experiences probably the same way as it's very hard for someone who saw uh, Star Wars in the theater, A New Hope, to explain what it was like sitting there on opening day. It was really a moment where you just kind of had to be like, this is something entirely new. Like, what am I seeing? So, You know, that raises a good question. What was... We don't understand. We can't quite process what that might have been like for people who saw Star Wars for, uh, per se, but like, and this was, was our generation's experience like that. What have people had since then? Kids these days, what, what you know? Uh, I would probably say Avatar mm-hmm. uh, might be, uh, you know, another milestone uh, that kind of, yeah. in, in that, but, um, but so Scott, we're, 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 we were definitely blown away by seeing this Tyrannosaurus Rex as it steps out and lets out its its scream or whatever it is, its roar. Uh, how were you feeling as 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 an eight year old young Scott Corelli sitting in the theater seeing this? What were your thoughts? I I don't I don't think I could even comprehend what I was saying because I I mean you didn't know what CGI was and so you had never seen anything so real before. Yeah. Um, and the way that. It, Cundy lights it and the way that they chose to make the dinosaurs move because I think they if I remember correctly they made a a point to sort of recreate the movements of as if it was claymation but not quite like just to give it sort of a tactile feel 
mm-hmm. um, and, and so that you could feel the weight of it and everything. It's just like all of these rules that CGI uh, artists know now, you know, about weight and things like that. That wasn't. Um, I mean, the 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 people in charge of Jurassic Park they kind of created all of that, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's it's incredible to think that before this moment, we didn't really know what CGI was. Because I mean, even with the with the Bronchiosaurus earlier, it was from a distance, and you were just like, "That's weird. I wonder how they did that." But it wasn't as yeah. awe inspiring as this is. Yeah. I think some of that comes from the, the threat, the fact that yeah. you have to understand this. With the Brachiosaurus, it's like, let me just stand in awe of this and not necessarily have to figure out what I'm seeing. With this, it's like, how do I get out of this situation? It's like, and, oh, damn, that thing just roared at me. Yeah. It wants yeah. to eat me. It's going to come off the screen. <laughs> here's a, a thought in the previous minute that I just totally escaped my mind like I, while I was talking about it, which is very typical of me. Um, the character that... Uh, so in the movie, we get Gennaro who escapes and runs off to the bathroom. In the book, it was another character. And he says that the sound of the T-Rex was like something from outer space. It was just otherworldly. It was something he could not put into words. And it was the most terrifying thing he had ever experienced was the sound. So there's seeing it as well as hearing it. And this is, uh, you know, the roar of the T-Rex. The, the sound design in this movie, everything that they created is amazing. But the sound of the T-Rex is something you'll never be able to unhear. Yeah. And so as an audience member, I think you're kind of identifying with what he is saying and explaining in the book. Yeah. Um, I think so, to this day, you know, when a big beast thing roars, I, I'm convinced that they all use the T-Rex roar as like a baseline <laughs> and then totally. just add stuff to it because everything sounds like the T-Rex now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they got it right on the first try, and everybody's been emulating. I, I feel the same thing. It's like you'll see like a car commercial, and there'll be a cute dinosaur, and it'll like roar, yeah. and they're using you know what sounds <laughs> essentially just like the Tyrannosaurus roar a, here. Yeah. A friend of mine, I took this one of those like slow motion videos you can shoot with your iPhone of her screaming, and I swear to God, it sounds just like. <laughs> and it's on. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it's on Facebook, and I did a comparison to the T Rex sound, and it is identical. No, so you hear this, like you hear this thing everywhere. Yeah. It's just ingrained in your mind from the first moment you hear it, and that is right here in this in this minute of the movie. Um, not to go off on a tangent about Jurassic World or to to put it down or anything like that, but can either of you tell me, or can you think and hear in your mind the sound of the Indominus Rex offhand? I can't. I'm just shaking my head yeah, now. I can't no, either. No, but I I again not to, not to not to come to that movie's defense every time it comes up. I think that's the that's point. Fine. Yeah. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. I can see that, I can yeah. see that. I can't wait to hear more, and you talked about this in the previous minute, to hear more of this uh, position you have on it. And I don't, put, can, you know, I haven't really been able to process Jurassic World, to be perfectly honest with you, mm-hmm. you know, a year and a half after it came out. Um, I like and don't like things about it, but I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about it. It sounds so interesting. And I really think that we, we will definitely have a Patreon episode of uh, <laughs> In Defense of Jurassic World with Scott Corelli. <laughs> and I think uh, I would love that. That'd be great. Our subscribers would really enjoy it, too. But um, so let me let me see. You know, we've been talking about how amazing the CGI is uh, and everything. The only thing I can say doesn't work for me in terms of that is the feet. When the feet are on the ground, it kind of looks like they're just in midair. And... Uh, and I'm not complaining, don't get me wrong. I'm seeing living, breathing things right in front of me. I'm convinced. Well, I think, isn't this one of the first moments in the movie where you're maybe seeing kind of a close-up of the full dinosaur in the feet? I mean, the Brachiosaurus, you're still kind of far off from it, mm-hmm. so they're kind of... The, the uh, Brachiosaurus is actually more 
to what I'm saying. This is just one of those cases. In fact, oh, the Brachiosaurus okay. is a little more obvious. Well, and, and that's always one of the big uh, things about computer-generated imagery is that the weight is something that's so difficult yeah. for people to get right. And still to this day, I mean, here we are uh, about a month after uh, Rogue One has come out, and not to spoil anything for the movie, but I think I'm in a safe harbor area to say this now, that they recreate uh, Peter Cushing in the movie, and I almost completely bought it until the mouth had to move, and the weight of his lips coming together mm-hmm. was really the only thing in that that I saw, and it kind of took me, I had the uncanny valley effect on it. Yeah. So it's something that, in I still say that this is the best CGI I've ever seen in I, Jurassic I Park. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, the tail, uh, the way the spine moves the way the head goes down you know at the right angle everything is fine but when that foot does come down you do kind of realize like but you know what honestly yeah. i never looked at the foot until you told me to uh, yeah before, and i'm looking we at doing the rest it. of it in fact it's the points where it really uh uh becomes real for me if you will is the way the light hits it the moonlight and there's a moment later when malcolm is trying to divert the attention mm-hmm. of the t-rex with this flare poor guy and uh <laughs> it comes around <laughs> yeah and it comes around the side of the car there's a few frames in that shot that I am convinced this is a real animal. They mm-hmm. somehow went out, found a T-Rex that's still alive, and put him in that shot. And it is, it's the way the light hits it mm-hmm. in those flashes of lightning that, uh, I mean, you know, right out, right out of the, I don't know, right out of the something. Well, you know what they're um, doing? They there. got it right. They're, they're, they're actually, the lightning thing, the reason that this is in the rain and, and there's lightning is because of uh, Roger Rabbit. That's how... We believed that Roger Rabbit was real because he was interacting with the lighting in the same way that all the human characters were. So now here they're cheating because they don't know how to light a T-Rex, but they do know how to flash lightning on it at the same time as they're flashing it on the real things. I've never thought of that. And so it's it's a really cool little film trick to make you believe that they're occupying the same space. And apparently it works. I was coming to that from the other angle, which was that they decided to shoot this at nighttime to try to hide some of the, uh, I guess, problems with CGI by making everything dark and having a little bit more shadow. But the way you're saying that, yeah, yeah, no, I think it is both. I think that, you know, but the, uh, the, the, the lightning effect there does make it feel like, yeah, it's, it's, it's on the same set with all these actors, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, for real. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So we've talked about this in a previous minute. Uh, a few years ago, I decided it be, would be a good idea to build a outdoor movie theater thing in my backyard. And we're in South Louisiana, where <laughs> if you do this around basically any month of the year, you're going to be like swatting off mosquitoes mm-hmm. left and right. But I was like, oh, let me do this. So I built a screen, had a friend bring out his like surround, you know, super fancy uh, sound system, and we watched Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And you could hear the T Rex roars. Down, down the, the down the block, echoing off of houses and stuff. It, it was, was the stupidest thing. It was I can't the believe stupidest we did it. thing. Yeah. It was awesome for us. The cops weren't called. Yeah, thank God, for so. real. Um, but um, well, I have a yeah. note here. Something I've always kind of wondered. Uh, you know, Grant at the end of this says, you know, don't move. His vision is based completely on movement. If we don't move, he can't see us. And I've always wondered, like. I mean, that sounds to me, as a person who's not a paleontologist, I know we have some paleontologists that listen to the show, uh, I totally bought it. I was like, oh, yeah, sure, that makes sense. That sounds like something that could actually happen. Um, have you guys ever looked into this? Or A little bit. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just kind of did a cursory uh, you know, Google search on this before we did the show earlier, and there was an uh, article on uh, IFLScience.com, or, you know, the science blog, um, mm-hmm. 
that actually uh, the University of Oregon, of Oregon researcher Professor Kent Stevens began a project called Dinomorph in 1993, which is funny because it's the same year Jurassic Park came out, uh, and to kind of figure out like how ocular, you know, how dinosaurs' eyes moved and stuff like that. Uh, so basically, through his research, he decided that one of the closer uh, evolutionary relatives of the Tyrannosaurus Rex is actually the eagle, based on the skull and how the skull works. So his deduction from his research into this is that not only did the Tyrannosaurus Rex was able to see things that didn't move, it probably had extremely keen vision. If you notice, its eyes are pointed forward on its head, so it's a predator that moves forward towards prey. So... It doesn't matter if they were moving or not. It could probably see them in the rain to a very, yeah. <laughs> a very good degree. So. Hmm. But, you know, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Scott can speak this for a screenwriting aspect. Uh, that's like one of these like bending of science rules to kind of maybe like give a heightened sense of tension to the scene. Yeah, uh, I can... mean, I'm I'm a big believer. I mean, <laughs> obviously, because I, I, I do Back to the Future Minute. So I, I'm a big believer in movie logic. And that's all that matters. Um, mm-hmm. Oh well, yeah, yeah and yeah. and so it's like, yeah, no, you can't bring dinosaurs back, but wouldn't it be fun to imagine a scenario <laughs> yeah. where you could, and that's why this movie exists? I know so many people who hate the Jurassic Park movies because they're just like that could never happen. It's like, oh come on, really, oh, really? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Will Wheaton. Have you ever heard Will Wheaton talk about Jurassic Park? He despises no. <laughs> Jurassic Park, <laughs> really, um, and it's uh, it's really upsetting to hear him dismiss it on such a dump for such a dumb reason because it's just like yeah of course this isn't real like what are you talking about <laughs> yeah i mean it's like will do we really want to get down to it in star trek light speed travel is probably not something you can do yeah you know? exactly. tell them to go watch my dinner with andre or something yeah. leave science fiction alone yeah i mean yeah. that that whole neil degrasse tyson thing where he's just like wanting to ruin movies left and right it just it bugs me because i'm like as long as it makes sense in the movie, that's all that should matter because movies yeah. aren't real and chill out. Take, take a look at this then. You were inspired to go search out this information about if it, Vision was based on movement because of this movie. Right. Yeah, I, you, let, yeah that's, that, that's a yeah, good point. But let, however, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. No, not yeah, Because like Scott said, movie logic. I mean, yeah. if you want to take like real world logic and go watch a David Lynch movie, good luck. You know, <laughs> right. like it's, just, it's not going to work yeah. out for you. Like film is one thing. Reality is another thing. And people need to understand that they are separate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. So uh, okay. So um, anytime I watch this scene in this movie, my stomach gets tight. You know, like it's it's just as effective now as it was when it came out. Yeah. Um, Scott, I think you and I are the same age. I was about eight years old when I saw this as well, mm-hmm. and uh, I can remember all the hype, all the excitement, going to see it, and then sitting there. It was I think my cousin and I were next to each other, way up front in the theater, and we had our hands like over our ears. And that's real. that's the other thing I remember about seeing this. I forgot all about this. This is the very first movie I ever saw in surround sound. Oh yeah, that's right because this was the like what DTS surround system was, was like new. released with this movie. Right. Yeah, yeah and yeah, my yeah. dad, he I saw this because I would spend summers with him in Florida, and he we drove out of our way to go to a theater with DTS surround sound to see this movie, and I remember mostly hating the surround sound because it was so loud because I'd never heard anything like that before. Yeah. Um, and so I, I spent a lot of the, this scene with, with my, not with, not with my hands over my eyes. Like I probably should have, so I could have went to the bathroom like a normal person, but with my, <laughs> with my hands over my ears, you know? Yeah. Um, cause it's just, it was so loud. I remember that. Yeah. 
Wow, I really feel bad for your neighbors, Brady. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they'll live. Yeah. What is this? this, uh, Your your neighbor's the same one that had the situation where the tree fell and crushed all your lawn equipment, and then never paid you back for it. Yeah, that happened. So he was he was deserved. He deserved this. Yeah. Okay. No, seriously. Yeah. 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 He still owes you a a gazebo. That guy. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yep. Uh, (laughs) Ah. Yeah, you uh, say gazebo, and I remember. So, Scott, yesterday when we ended the episode, uh, I asked you if you had any other thoughts, and you said you were going to save some stuff for this episode. I'd like to kind of give you the free floor now to kind of just uh, bring up or discuss anything that you, you'd, you'd like to talk about for Jurassic Park or this minute or, or whatever. Yeah, okay, so um, last semester I taught a screenwriting class, and when it came to uh, the class where I was going to talk about theme – and the way that you, the way theme interacts with character and plot and story and um, genre, everything, uh, you know, that is a very difficult concept for new screenwriters to understand. And so I tried to find a movie that used theme in all of those aspects. And used it in sort of a semi-obvious way, or not not obvious, but but clean in a very clean way, um, mm-hmm. where it's not muddled by a lot of like other things. And Jurassic Park, its theme of life finds a way is just so permeated at every level of this movie that it's it's insane. Um, and it worked, it worked out so well because with life finds a way it works on, on several levels because you have life finds a way with, with, um, the, uh, you know, engine creating dinosaurs, you know, life finds a way to bring back dinosaurs. Uh, so right there from the concept, you have life finds a way and then you have life finds a way where they're like, Oh, we're going to make all girls. And, and it found a way to make boys and let them procreate. Uh, naturally without, uh, without, you know, becoming scientists. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and then you have, um, life finds a way in, in other sort of like smaller versions of that, like with, um, uh, Dr. Grant not wanting children and not liking children and obviously being in a relationship with someone who does like and want children, um, but he has no desire for children. And then life finds a way to make him a father because he has to become a father for these two kids and protect them. And what I love about this movie is the moment where he, um, you know, much later in the movie, uh, you know, cause he's about to start protecting the kids for the first time. His like fatherly instincts are about to, kick in in like the next few minutes. Um, but the moment when he sort of becomes a father figure, like quote unquote father figure for them, when they're all spending the night in, uh, in the tree, when they, um, are walking around the next morning, the, like the morning after him sort of becoming a father and them falling asleep in his arms, that's when they stumble across the eggs and realize that the dinosaurs have found a way to become a father that's yeah, yeah. and his, even his unbelievable yeah, his uh, response too his life found a way it's almost like he could be saying that to his own that he's getting experience. kind of the cosmic knock now like right? yeah here yeah. you go life right. found a way yeah you know and yeah. you can leave it to Spielberg to put something like that in, something like that in a movie that's not 
Necess- not, not not necessarily intended for that kind of uh, message. Well, I mean, it's his subtext, yeah. Subtext, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. And to not have it be, oh, look at my subtext, right, you know? right. That, that normally I wouldn't be in a summer adventure film. It's so. a lot. It's a lot smarter than you, than it needs to be, you know. And that's I think what makes it a great movie. Yeah, and you know that kind of goes back to when Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park. He mm-hmm. wanted the whole thing to kind of be this driving force for like chaos theory. And chaos theory is also kind of another way of saying life found a way. You know, mm-hmm. like nature yeah. is going to find its way to <laughs> to get to where it needs to go. Well, one way or another. So, right. Now, that's a, that's a very astute observation, uh, Scott, and I, I hadn't really thought of that scene of them in the tree together as him kind of like being forced to be the father figure for them. That's that's that's. And also, you know, they're going through a divorce. Uh, their parents are going through a divorce. They kind of need a dad figure at that point in time. You can too. almost say that the positioning, too, is, is very similar. He's there in the tree with the kids, you know. And then the next day, he's in between those two roots or whatever, in a similar position with these children, oh, if yeah. you will, these eggs in front of him. So, man, maybe that's kind of a stretch, but no, no, no. no. I I nothing is done by accident. That that totally makes sense to me. Like as a visual, sort of like a yeah. you know Steven Spielberg trying to um, like psychologically connect those two things in your mind. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the reason why I pretend that Jurassic Park Three isn't a real movie because it it betrays the thematic relevance of this movie because after this movie, Grant and, and, and Ellie should get married and have children. That's have you, what's supposed sorry, to happen. Keep, <laughs> have you been listening to the last uh, couple of weeks of Jurassic Park? Oh, yeah, no, Kyle I'm, and I've I'm almost duped it out a couple times over this. <laughs> but no, it, it kind of goes against the conceit of what's being set up here, kind of like Alien 3, which I, I love myself, uh, says, oh, that everything we set up about – you know, Newt and Hicks and the family element and all that. Nah, it's gone. Well, Alien so. 3 is a little bit different because it's it's the it's the logical conclusion of where that story goes. The alien wins. Mm. You know, it's like yeah, it's yeah. death is really the, the right. force that pushes everything through there. But but in this one, like you're saying, with, with, with Jurassic Park 3, uh, yeah, the payoff for the characters should be that they go out and then they have children. And then maybe Jurassic Park 3 would be better if it was their own kids involved, you know, and going back to the island or something like that. Oh, that would uh, be so much better. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe that'd be Jurassic World too. You know, yeah. like their their son and daughter show up. <laughs> True. There you go. Yeah, I mean, Jurassic Park three is just a it's a horror movie. I mean, it's 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 yeah. not unlike the Jaws sequels, Jurassic Park three. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, <clears throat> keep going, keep going. Scott. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just that like Jaws is this very uh, special thing, and while it is <clears throat> it is a monster movie, it's also a character film about these three guys and the things that are going on with them and how this event of, of, of this shark, these shark attacks are, um, you know, wrecking havoc on their personal lives. And so Jaws is doing this one thing and then all of the sequels are just like, yeah, the, the shark, right? You like the shark? The shark. <laughs> that's what you came for. That was the, that's what, that's what everybody liked, right? Cause you're, yeah. you're afraid to go back in the water, right? That's that's what everybody liked, and and it just that's what Jurassic Park three feels like. It's just like you like dinosaurs eating people, right? There it is. Yeah, Look, with yeah. William H. Macy, you like him. <laughs> I like um, Jurassic Park three in the sense that it feels kind of like not not for the sake of the movie. Uh, I gr- agree with everything you're saying, but there's a part of it that just feels like a t- TV made for TV movie, kind of like Jaws four, and I like him for that. But it's like uh, <laughs> they they shouldn't be in this series because it's almost like. Um, they do not live up to they. They should not. They do not deserve to be called Jurassic films. They're not a part of this franchise and this 
this uh, measure that the first film has set. Right. Am I wrong to remember that when Jurassic Park 3 came out, it actually made a lot of money? <clears throat> Excuse me. Not as much as maybe Jurassic Park or The Lost World, but if I remember correctly, it did quite well at the box office. And everybody, like all these like analysts that follow movies were like surprised. Well, you know, that could have been why we didn't hear from Jurassic Park for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Because the movie might have made a lot of money, and then it got the response, that, the critical response that it did. And people said, "Okay, let's put this away for 14 years." And well, see I think we can... you know, there's there's a, a thing that happens specifically with Spielberg's movies, where if the sequel underperforms, it's never the fault of the filmmakers. It's always like, well, audiences were looking for, you know, studios are always looking to spin something when you know, box office returns. Yeah. Do you remember the the Heartbreak Kid, the Ben Stiller movie? No. Like, see, nobody does. But uh, <laughs> no, I remember. It, it, I remember. You remember it? It was a huge bomb, and the studio was like, well. Halo five or Halo three came out that weekend too. So they're like, yeah, people didn't go to see this crappy looking Ben Stiller movie because they were at home playing this on their Xbox three sixties. When was this? Uh, this was two thousand and seven. Okay. Uh, and uh, you know, I, Jurassic Park three was, I, yeah, I. We were kind of talking about this kind of not, but you know, the studios have a way of spinning stuff and a lot of Spielberg stuff. It seems like there's a lot of people at Universal that want to make him happy, or at least there used to be. And uh, when stuff like, you know, would underperform uh, The Lost World, they'd come out and be like, oh, well, people were just sick of dinosaurs, Steven. That's what it was, you know? And then we don't get uh, a Jurassic Park 3 that should have been the continuation of of the story like we were talking about a a minute ago. So, yeah. It's a really interesting topic. Again, Scott, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. on a future Patreon episode. Um, <laughs> I, I would <laughs> love Jurassic to. Park Hour with Scott Corelli. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a different debate for a different day, but it's a very, very, very interesting one. It's a huge uh, misstep in, in what should have been a flawless franchise, and it's far from flawless. For anybody who tuned into our Patreon episode, uh, Review of Lost World, definitely heard our thoughts on how... It was kind of a, a, a misstep, kind of a sidestep for the franchise, and I don't know that it's ever really gotten back on its feet uh, fully. So it's like I'm saying, it's just different, ar- not arguments, but different topics for different days. And if anyone actually is uh, interested in hearing all that, you can you can check us out on Patreon and uh, and hear it. So it's always an interesting topic with Jurassic Park. Yeah, Scott, you said that whenever you saw The Lost World, you were actually uh, a fan of it for a while. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I I loved that it 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 took place like uh, like the third act was in the city because it it kind of did um because I mean what what that movie is is just Steven Spielberg doing sort of an ode to King Kong I mean that's mm-hmm. that's what that movie is like they go to Skull Island and they take something back um, and then it breaks loose in the city uh, absolutely yeah so I mean it, it really is just him being like I really like King Kong I don't want to remake it but I'll make it with dinosaurs <laughs> yeah I've, I've never thought of it that way but yeah it, it absolutely is yeah it, so it's uh, not it's not a great movie I don't think it's as bad as um, a lot of people say that it is uh, I like how much uh, Ian Malcolm has changed uh, mm-hmm. because yeah the events of Jurassic Park would freaking change anybody. Um, and all of that rock star stuff was sort of, uh, you know, I mean, it was all fake anyway. So 
it, it just it always felt like he was trying too hard. And then, you know, when you see him in Lost World, it's like, oh, that's who that guy really was. And yeah, you know, that's my favorite thing about that movie uh, is how the events of the first film would have affected the people from the first. And I would have enjoyed more of that. Yeah. And we had the opportunity to see that in Jurassic Park three with Grant as well. So I wish yeah. there'd been more of it. But uh, no, continue. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 pretty much it. I mean, I, I just think that that I think that movie is fine for what it is i think that spielberg's the thing that's so surprising about it is like why is why did spielberg make a sequel because he like notoriously doesn't make sequels yeah uh to his work and he did a sequel to jurassic park where's the interest and i think that's all it was was his interest was entirely in the visuals and doing his version of uh king kong and and skull island and all that stuff um, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's all that movie is. That's where his interest laid in it. And it wasn't in the subtlety and thematic relevance of Jurassic Park. Like I think Jurassic Park, he, he was completely on board with, whereas Lost World, he was like, well, this stuff interests me. And I really do like all those zeros on that paycheck. Yeah. That probably had a lot to do with it too. The dump truck of money that Universal probably backed up to his oh, house. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> because I think even uh, my Crichton didn't really do any sequels to anything and he was, I'm sure not commissioned, but I'm sure that the box office for Jurassic Park had a lot to do with that book. And yeah. I don't know. I was kind of underwhelmed when I read the book originally and then I was like, ah, maybe they'll twist the movie a little bit. And then, eh, you know, yeah, so was I. I, I remember reading that book at the bus stop every morning and just being like, what the <laughs> hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> Another Island. Oh, next thing you're going to tell me there's going to be a Death Star in the next Star Wars movie. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, that's pretty much all I've got on uh, on this minute. Brady, you got anything else? That's it for me. How, Scott, you got anything else to say? No, that's uh, that's it. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I love Jurassic Park. I love what you guys are doing with this show. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to hopefully be on to talk about Jurassic World um, whenever you guys get around to talking about that. So. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, uh, we are going to get out of here. But before we do that, Scott, can you just one more time let our listening audience know where they can find you on the Internet? Yeah. Uh, DuelingGenre.com uh, is my main website where all of our podcasts are. And uh, you can find Back to the Future Minute there, along with our other Minute shows, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. And uh, our Doctor Who podcast, The Doctor's Companion, Geek by Night, our original audio drama uh, that uh, we all work very hard at, and we were just uh, we were nominated for a bunch of uh, Audioverse awards for that. Um, our, our one of our actresses was up against Felicia Day. Uh, wow, for, uh, best actress, which was pretty cool. Um, so uh, yeah, go check that out if that's uh, if what I described earlier in the show sounds like something you might be interested in. I think that you really would like it. So go check that out. And I am at Scott Corelli on all of the social media things. <laughs> well, I just want to add in real quick. Uh, I, I do support uh, Dually genre on Patreon and I feel like it is absolutely, um, getting my money's worth every week. There's always such great content to listen to you and Nick, uh, just, you know, wax geek on just about everything out there. You, you guys do a great job with that and, uh, you know, keep that oh, stuff coming. Thanks so much, Kyle. And yeah, we, we're, we're trying to put up, um, we're trying to, uh, sort of expand our goals. Um, We've been talking about uh, one of our goals at like I think three fifty or something like that a month. We're gonna start another podcast. Where the hell I'm gonna have the time for that? I don't know, <laughs> uh, but we do. We always seem to find the time. So uh, we've been talking about possibly doing some sort of entertainment news podcast that won't require as much like research and things. Kind of a podcast that we can just show up and do. 
Um, and, uh, that would be, uh, that would be, that would not be Patreon exclusive, but, um, the Patreon will help us, uh, get it going. So that would be really cool. So, um, very cool. If you, uh, if you like me or, or Nick, when he's on the show later on, uh, definitely check out, uh, and try out some of our shows. And if you think we're worth your money, uh, go, you can check out our Patreon too. There's a link on the site. Awesome. All right, Scott. Well, thank you so much again for joining us for these past two days. Uh, it's been a blast having you on. We look forward to having Nick on, and you know, we definitely look forward to that uh, Jurassic World stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Me too. Awesome. All right, folks. Well, everybody have a great weekend. Uh, we're gonna get out of here. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady, and he's Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at Patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pele Media and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Pele Media. Yeah.